So if you uh, missed last week, um, I'll be up here for a total of three weeks um, calling the, this series Unexpected Endings. And that's because a few weeks ago, Josh reminded us that when we come to church here, we always expect the same thing. We even know the order in which things are going to happen. And uh, so we thought we'd mix it up a little bit. And uh, last week, as you know, we started out with a 15-minute greeting. If you missed that, I'm sorry, because the people that were here seemed to really enjoy that time. And I'm sorry because we're not going to do that right now. Um, I know some of you came early this time looking forward to that. So, um, yeah, I can sense the sadness. Um, so this last week, uh, some friends of ours came up from Sacramento, uh, a young couple that isn't young anymore. We married them 11 years ago, and uh, they have three kids now, eight, six, and four. And uh, so they're about 35-ish now, and uh, it was a lot of fun hanging out with them, um, getting to know their kids that we really didn't know back at the time. And uh, the, the middle girl, six, has this awesome fake cry. And it usually follows the words, it's not fair, you know, something like that. And she can get it going for a while, but it's fake. There's no emotion. There's no tears. And I think some of us are like that, too. We think things aren't fair. And if we hadn't grown up, we'd probably do the fake cry, too. Instead, we just tend to complain about things that we think aren't fair. I found some quotes this week and a great picture to go along with them. This isn't actually her, but it's really close to that expression. Um, the first one from uh, Bill Gates says, life is not fair, get used to it. Um, then Roseanne Barr said this, to expect life to treat you good is foolish as hoping a bull won't hit you because you're a vegetarian. A <laughs> um, little more serious here, Eleanor Roosevelt said, it's not fair to ask of others what you're not willing to do yourself. That's good. And then uh, Victor Hugo, uh, being good is easy. What is difficult is being just. Um, and in the case of today's story, uh, I want to encourage you to leave the justice part um, in the hands of God. Um, he seems to do a better job with it than we do. Um, a couple of uh, stories to kind of get us warmed up here. I'll just start these stories. So if you find out that one of them is about you, don't leave, because they all have uh, an ending a little bit later. So the first one is my dad. Um, when he uh, started out as a pastor, he, he got his first church. Um, he was pounding nails, um, putting the building together. He was in that church for 10 years uh, before he took a call to go to the mission field um, to Italy for a while. And when um, he came back, they had transitioned through a couple of short-term pastors, and then they went out and hired a new guy. And the new guy got two times more annual salary than my dad did. After my dad had been there for 10 years, this guy walked in the door and he was, his salary was doubled. Um, take it for whatever you want. For me, uh, back in the day, I worked for Ford Motor Credit Company and I did not have a college degree at the time. Uh, I was looking for a job for 30 days and I was the 151st applicant um, for this particular job. And the manager asked if I could stay a little bit longer and said, we actually think you're the right guy and we want to hire you. So they hired me that day, and I worked there for five years. But uh, shortly into my career there, I was uh, working in the credit department. They began to hire, they began to grow, and they began to hire these college grads. And these guys, you know, would come in and go, how much do you make? You know, we're doing this thing. And, and they found out that I made about $5,000 more a year than they did. And they graduated from college after paying 
for the education and I didn't. And they thought that was really unfair. And then the, the third one is uh, we have a person that goes to church here. Her name is Mary Law. And uh, I, she might actually she is here. So this will work even better. Mary, could you stand up for a minute? OK, four foot. How much? Eleven. Four eleven. OK. And, and I'm six four. Go figure. I, you know, some people may say that's not fair. Um, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, so don't leave. Yeah. Um, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, today we're going to look at the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And uh, some guys that didn't think the situation turned out very fair. And then we'll try to put that together um, into an application this morning. So let me pray before we jump in for Mary's forgiveness. And um, God, thank you so much for uh, your word and the encouragement that it could bring us, can bring us and the lessons that we can learn from it. And God, I pray today we would just learn a very simple lesson about what you would like for us and uh, that we would um, actually be able to apply it again before we leave, um, that you would direct our thoughts toward the point um, of your kingdom um, as Jesus came to establish it here on earth. And, uh, and your desire for that kingdom and for us as um, subjects in that kingdom. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read you this parable of the workers in the vineyard. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? And they replied, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Uh, these men who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Can you see that face? Can you hear that fake cry? But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So let me give you a little summary of this story because it's a little hard to follow, but it basically went like this. The workers started at 6 a.m. The next set started about 9 a.m. Then there was another group that worked at noon another that started at 3, and the final group that started work at 5 o'clock. All of the workers quit at 6. 
Those that worked from 5 to 6 p.m. one hour got paid first. Those that started at 6 a.m. and worked 12 hours got paid last, but they got what they agreed to. All of the workers got paid the same amount. And then Jesus finishes off the story uh, with this phrase. He says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And we could stop and ponder that statement today and wonder what he meant by that. Um, we'll, we'll do that a little bit today. Because if you were the worker that was there for 12 hours and you watched the one-hour workers get paid the same amount you were promised, you might be a little upset too. And I'm guessing that most of us would be upset because it would be our natural reaction to that unless we understood how the owner of the vineyard was trying to work things out. And as, as I said in the beginning, this was Jesus' parable of what the kingdom of heaven was to look like, both in their present and in the future. So let me go back to the ending of those other stories. So my dad, uh, you know, the, the big difference in salary, his response to that was, I wasn't in it for the money. I was just in it to dedicate my life to whatever Christ wanted me to do. And God has always given me everything I've ever needed. Uh, the next story, me and Ford Motor Credit and these young guys being upset because I got more money than them and I didn't have the education and, and I didn't pay for the education. I thought that was a pretty good deal. <laughs> uh, as, as far as Mary Law goes, I may have almost two feet height on her, but the mural of her in Gill Coliseum is about four times taller than I am. And there's a good reason for that. Um, in each case, each of us made the most of what we were given. So who gets to decide what's fair? Who decides what each person deserves? That's what I want to think about today. Uh, but to do that, we've got to back up one story, actually, to put this one in context. And the story just before it in Matthew 19, if you want to flip over there, if you have your Bible, to Matthew 19, 16... Uh, we're going to hear a story. I'm just going to go through it pretty quick because Josh talked about this one a while back. Uh, you've heard of the rich young ruler. And so I'm just going to kind of breeze through this and summarize what happened to remind you because somehow these two stories are tied together. Uh, in verse 16, just then a man came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, Keep the commandments. He says, Which ones? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, well, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And we remember when the young man heard this, it says, he walked away sad because he had such great wealth. So Jesus turns to his disciples now and gives them what I would call his unexpected answer to this dilemma. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
So let's get that little picture for a minute. Um, I don't know if these are proportionate, but I think it'll do the trick. I don't think that camel is ever going to make it through the head of that needle. And Jesus is saying that that is less difficult than for this rich man to get into heaven. So if you were sitting there and you were thinking of this, either in the context of this picture or some other way that the disciples might consider a camel and an eye of a needle, Peter is a little worried and he asks the question, it says in verse 25, uh, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? In other words, so Jesus, what you're saying is it's impossible for us to be saved. Obviously, they missed something in there because that's not what he said. He said it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. So their reaction, again, astonished. And Jesus turned to them and clarified, and he said this, What's impossible for man is possible with God. In fact, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So Jesus is trying to teach them a little kingdom lesson, and it's pretty simple. You can't get to heaven by yourself through your own efforts All of us are going to need God's help at some point, no matter who we are. So Peter, I think, then returns this with a pretty reasonable question. He says, so we've left everything to follow you. What then is there for us? And that kind of makes sense, because if he's grasping the question here, the the statement that Jesus makes, it's like, okay, so if the rich guy is going to have a really hard time getting into heaven... Since we followed you and we gave up everything we have, we get in, right? But he's just trying to clarify this because it sounded a minute ago like salvation was impossible. That was the comparison. So Jesus says, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me and 29, everyone who has left houses, brothers, Sisters, fathers, mothers, wife, children, or fields, for my sake, will receive 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. Sounds pretty good. And then Jesus adds this phrase again, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. That's that phrase again. It's that unexpected ending because in our context, those that work the hardest get to be first. So Jesus takes this concept and flips it upside down and says, not in my kingdom. We may think that we have rights. We may get jealous of others and what they have. And just like last week with Peter beside the lake, Jesus says to us, It's time to deal with your own issues first and let me worry about the other people. Remember, Jesus was sitting there with Peter beside the lake, said, follow me, follow me, follow me, feed my sheep. And this is how you're going to die. And it was a great encouraging thing that Jesus said to Peter in all of this. And then Peter immediately, after hearing the lesson, turns around and goes, but what about John? And Jesus says, let me worry about him. Because we're all consumed with everybody else's business and not our own. So we need to deal with our own issues, and Jesus says he'll deal with the others. 
So kingdom things aren't going to be like they are here. It's an adjustment in our thinking because God wants us to learn that it's not because of who I am. It's because of what he's done. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of who he is. And it's all about what's been done for me, what he's done to forgive me. So I want you to look at a couple of verses here outside of this passage that Paul writes about to talk about what exactly um, God has done, what Jesus has done for us. In Colossians 1.15, a reminder from last week, it says the sun is the image of the invisible God. We looked in Hebrews last, last week and saw that Jesus is the exact representation of the character of the Father. So when we watch and listen to Jesus, we see what God is like. So we go down to verse 21 of Colossians 1, and here's what Paul says. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And on a first pass, those might just be words. So, so let's back this up again. Last week, uh, some of you had a stone of judgment and you let it go. Some of you had a, an unconfessed sin and you let it go. Some of you had uh, some, something that maybe you hadn't forgiven yourself for and maybe last week you decided to let it go. I have a list with names of some of the things you said. And um, as you notice, the crosses are gone and by the end of Thursday there were no more sins I think they were actually forgiven last Sunday. Um, in fact, I think they were actually forgiven the day Jesus died on the cross. But maybe you let go of holding on to those things last week. So what this looks like then is whenever we condemn ourselves because of what we've done, because we have a hard time forgetting it, uh, God says, I'll remember your sins no more. And I don't know that he actually can forget, but he chooses not to remember. And that's what we need to do. When we understand we've been forgiven, we need to choose not to remember and to move on and let God begin to do in a work in us. And you can do that right here because it says that because of the work he's done, we are now reconciled to him by his action, not ours. And it says we are holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I can't really think of a better place to be. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. There's this idea here of continuing, and uh, we have this dilemma of, so am I working my way in then or not? Let's go to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 for a minute. Uh, and let me add 10, which sometimes gets left off. But it says here in verse 8, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. That's him. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork. In your version, it might say his masterpiece. I like that even better. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I'm thinking back to the vineyard. There's guys that started working hard from the very beginning. And there's guys that once they were given the opportunity at five o'clock, um, they were standing around and he says, what are you doing standing around? Well, no one asked us. Well, would you like to come and work? Yeah, let's do it. And they jump in. 
Um, God prepared works for us to do, but they should come not out of us having a desire to earn our way to him because he's done all that, but out of gratitude for what he's done for us. So you've been given new life. You've been given a clean slate. Stop loitering and get to work for the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven has different values. And I think that those values will actually help us now, not at some future time in our lives. But if we put those values into action now, that's really what God wanted from the start. So we're already to the application. This is going by pretty fast. Here's, here's the application. Be grateful for what you've been given. Make the most of your opportunities to expand the kingdom. I think, leave that up for a minute, here sometimes we're expanding our opportunities for ourselves and for our personal gain. But if we think in ter- terms of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, if we're grateful, if we make the most of what we've been given, we just do our best and he'll take care of the rest. And that's, I guess, what my dad was saying. I'm just happy to serve. I'm happy for what I have. And he'll provide. And that's what his life looked like. So we should work for the kingdom out of our gratitude for a lot of reasons. Our work gets more people into the kingdom. Our work demonstrates our gratitude once we understand what God's actually done for us. Our work shows that we understand how the kingdom works. Our work for the kingdom demonstrates a willingness for us to be team players. And our work for the kingdom models the celebration taking place in heaven for the salvation of one. So this is like those five o'clock people that work for one hour. Uh, you've heard the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The coins were lost. The sheep was lost. The son was lost. And then he returns. And there's this celebration. And you probably remember the older brother who never left, who allegedly never did anything wrong, who was the it's not fair wang guy at the end of that story. And his father looks at him and said, You've had everything that I had to offer you for your entire life. Can we be glad that our brother who was lost has come back? So in the kingdom, we celebrate the people that came last because we're glad we're there. Uh, my dad had a sister, um, Anne. He became a Christian when he was 16 years old. He shared with her her entire life. By 80 years old, she still wasn't interested. But somewhere in the next three years... She called him up one day and said, Bobby, I just want to tell you, I believe in Jesus today. And it seems like it was a short time later, she fell and broke her hip. And about two weeks after that, she passed away at about 84. And I remember my dad coming, I picture coming down the hallway of our house in Monterey and he's sobbing. And I said, Dad, are you okay? And he goes, I'm better than okay. Because my sister got in at five o'clock. And I'm excited that she made it, and then I'll get to see her again. The other guy is kind of an interesting story. is the, the thief who was hanging on the cross next to Jesus, who in the last hours of, of the lives of those three men of Jesus and, and those two thieves, was one of the mockers of Jesus, saying, come on, let's see you do your thing. If you're who you say you are, get down. But I think in those moments between the time when that was said and when they passed away, the thief probably noticed that Jesus remained silent, except for maybe those words that he said to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And I'm guessing that the thief heard that, and something in his mind began to change, 
And he looked over at Jesus and he said, when you go to be in your kingdom today, will you take me with you? And Jesus said, yes, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't say, because that was the unexpected answer, if you can get down off the cross and get to a baptism class, and then go be baptized, and then start doing some good things, maybe just a week's worth, then maybe you can go be with me in heaven. Um, in that instance, because he had the power, he cut through all the red tape and say, yes, today you'll be with me in my kingdom. And I bet some of us have a problem with that, not with that guy in particular, but we hear stories of people who, who make some kind of confession at the end of their life. And if it's our relative, we're happy, obvious, to hear that. But I think God wants us to be excited and celebrate when anybody gets it in the last hour and comes to faith in him, because that's what his kingdom is about. Um, I, I heard a quote last Sunday night uh, from a football coach, and it was grateful people are happy people. Grateful people are unselfish and willing to make sacrifices. Will you be that guy? So that's a question I have for us today is, can we just be grateful for what we have and do the best with it and let God take care of the rest? Can we be that person? Or will we be the one that steps up to God, folds our arms and says, why don't you give me what, you, what I deserve? Let that one sit it, sink in for a minute. What do we deserve? God, thanks for um, your willingness to demonstrate your love for us through your unselfishness, through your sacrifice, through the sacrifice of Jesus, that we have come to an understanding that he's done some great things for us that we absolutely could not do for ourselves. That with that thought, we will become people who are grateful. And it's out of our gratitude that we'll enjoy our lives and be willing to see the same for others. I pray that we could get up every day not thinking about what we have to do, but what's been done for us that's made what we have that day possible that we'd be appreciative to you and that out of our gratitude to you, we will go work hard for your kingdom. And whatever it is that you've made us to do, whatever it is you've equipped us to do, that we would spread that message and that we would rejoice for those that jump in at 5 o'clock, even though they haven't worked as hard as we have, and that you're the one that gets to judge all that, not us, so we don't have to worry about it anymore. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.